Hello, America. There is a lot of talk in Washington, D.C. about common sense policing. We're going to take some federal action. This George Floyd thing's got to stop. Well, okay, I agree with you. But what what are you doing in the federal government on policing? I, I, I'd i like to go through uh, what's happening in the Senate and the House with the George Floyd police reform bill. Uh, because I'm I'm really concerned and want to be a hawk with a, just an open eyes looking for any attempts to federalize anything with the police. Federalization of the police would be a very bad thing. Does this bill even have a little bit of a hint of that in it? I honestly don't know, but... I happen to know somebody who does, and he joins us in just a couple of seconds. Stand by. The Glenn Beck Program. You know, one of the things you learn when you have a dog is just how much of a give-and-take relationship it really is. Um, I mean, I get so much from my dog. Loyalty, protection, friendship, kindness. Uh, I mean, I'm really on the taking end of it uh, with him. I want to make sure that I give him the best. We give him all kinds of love. We give him a, a warm shelter. We we actually cuddled with him the other night. Here's our big, huge German Shepherd that's not afraid of anything. Uh, and we cuddled with him last night because the storms were so bad. He was freaking out about the thunder and lightning. Um, we want to make sure that he is healthy and that he is happy. That's why we feed rough greens to him. We put it on his food. It's not a dog food. It's a supplement. And it has everything that your dog needs to live. Um, you know, probiotics. I don't ever think about that with a dog. Well, if you're eating, eating dry dog food, everything in his bowl is dead. He needs things just like you need probiotics. You can get a bag now of rough greens and just try it out. My dog thinks it's crack. He loves it. He runs to the bowl and licks it clean. That is a completely different behavior from a year ago when I, you know, when I first started feeding him rough greens. It, we had to feed him by hand. I'm not, I'm not kidding. He hated eating. Now you put rough greens on it, and it's dog crack. Not all dogs are the same. They want to make sure that you don't pay for something that your dog's just not going to like and not use. So they're going to send you a little free trial bag. Uh, it's got about, I don't know, three or four nights for a dog my size. If you have, you know, Pat-sized dog, it'll last maybe a year. Um, but all you have to do is pay for shipping, and they'll send you a little bag of rough greens and uh, put it on your dog's food. Make sure that they like it. If they do, order the full bag and start to watch a difference in your dog. They it's remarkable, and everyone I know that has their dog eating rough greens, same thing. Ruffgreens.com slash Beck. That's Ruffgreens.com, or you can call them now at 833-GLEN, G-L-E-N-N-33, 833-GLEN-33, or Ruffgreens.com slash Beck. Peter Kersenau is with us. He is an attorney and member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. And I wanted to talk to him about the George Floyd Policing Act. Peter, how are you, sir? Doing well, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Good. I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of Americans, I think with very few exceptions, 
think what happened to George Floyd was wrong and it, it just shouldn't have happened the way it did. Uh, I think there's a lot of people, at least in this audience, and including me, that they don't think it was murder. He didn't intentionally set out uh, to kill him. And we need to make sure that the good cops uh, are not on the force and the uh, the or sorry, the good cops are on the force and the bad cops, which I think are few and far between, are not on the force. And we we treat our police officers with respect, but we demand the highest level of service, which I think most of them give. However, I don't think that there's a lot of people that are being reasonable about things right now, especially when it comes to police. And so I'm very concerned about the George Floyd Policing Act. I want to tell you right off the bat, I know as much as the average person, which is almost nothing. That's why you're on. I wanted to make sure that you know, this isn't a, a cover of some sort of federal uh, expansion. Can you tell us what's in the act? Sure. Uh, your instincts with respect to this are correct. This is an intrusive bill, intrusive mm. in terms of more federal involvement in local police matters. And it's not going to solve anything that it purports. I mean, it's called the George Floyd uh, Policing, Justice and Policing Act, but it's not going to address any of the issues related to the perception that police may be uh, targeting certain people of color, may have uh, more aggressive postures toward certain individuals. It's not going to have anything to do with that. This is going to be something that is more of a quota system. And it's going to relax policing standards. It will result in more likely, I mean, this is, you can see a cause and effect throughout history with respect to legislation or actions like this where they do this. And let's say it's well intended. I'm not even sure that it's well intended. I simply think it's a reaction, a political reaction to what they see or perceive to be um, um, racially disparate policing. And it will result in hamstringing police, uh, handcuffing them in a way that will be dangerous to the community and to the police themselves, and will do really just, uh, I would call, un-American things, but, but crazy and stupid things, among which... Like what? Is, well, um, it requires, it, it, it raises a presumption that if there are disparities in stops, searches, uh, traffic stops, for example, or or searches on the sidewalk, if there are any kind of racial disparities, numerical disparities in that, the presumption is that that was a result or that is evidence of racial profiling. And there, nothing could be further from the truth. We saw this kind of thing, Glenn, back in the 80s and then in the 90s when Giuliani came into, into mm -hmm. office in New York where, you know, you had more aggressive type of policing. It was lawful, but more aggressive. And the crime rates plummeted because they targeted those areas and those individuals more likely to be involved in criminal activity. Police used their good instincts to do that. And as so, a result, crime in New York fell. So if you're, you're telling me, let's just say my town, um, which is an affluent uh, little suburb, uh, and the crime rate is very, very low here. The, the real crime, the number one reported crime is domestic abuse. Um, so if we if there was a disparity on, let's say, stopping, uh, you know, looking for robbers or only going to black homes or searching black people or whatever, Asians, anybody, you're searching them, but you're not searching in our community 
the white people, you you would we would be in trouble. I mean, do we have to do we have to go to homes and ask them about domestic abuse if it's not the white rich people doing it? I mean, because well, it's the, the right white rich yeah, people that are beating each other up in their houses at night in my neighborhood. The, the presumption is that any type of racial disparity is a sign of some type of discrimination, some type of invidious practice that will then invoke the jurisdiction of the federal government and others, too, by the way, because the federal government is going to be contracting with, among others, the NAACP, La Raza, oh ACLU, to study these disparities and come up with pilot programs for enforcement and training of police officers, police departments, so they will not be engaged in this kind of conduct. So, what, And they are being funded, too. Um, I don't remember exactly the amount of funds. It's not clear from the legislation, but you can, you can expect it's going to be a lot of money. They'll be funding more money into these organizations to come up with... The so we're giving... We're, we're, we will be giving money to the race, otherwise known as La Raza. We'll be giving money to them to police our police? Yeah, that's that's the intent here. And you can just imagine what that's going to look like. And, um, you know, the, the disparities then will naturally result in a certain type of calculated policing. In other words, if you look at Chicago, Chicago's a good example. We know that uh, it's, it's just an incredible crime wave that's been going on there for several years now. More than 90% of all shooting victims and perpetrators are black, okay? Even though only about 30-something percent of the entire city of Chicago is black. Well, that's a prima facie disparity right there, which would trigger scrutiny of the Chicago Police Department. And, of course, people are going to try to, just as a matter of human nature, try to, quote-unquote, get their numbers right. So in order not to be accused of any kind of racial misconduct, maybe be subject to scrutiny, possible prosecution by the Civil Rights Division of, of the Justice Department, uh, you know, there's going to be more calculated policing. I'm not saying that it's going to be done in a way that, you know, it's going to be proportionate to the racial makeup of the city, but you can be assured that individuals are going to act like human beings. And when they understand that there are punitive actions that may be in the offing if they get their numbers wrong, there might be a skewing of the kind of policing that you would un- ordinarily see so what is that, if it was being done based on crime. What does that mean, that they, they just stop people for, you, uh, guys, we're out of whack, you need more white people does it have to be the same crime or can it just be traffic ticket? What, what does that mean that they would it's balance likely, that yeah. out? It's likely going to be an apples to apples comparison so that if 90 percent oh of traffic gosh. stops are of uh, blacks, they better start to get that number right, at least more in proportion with what the composition is in that particular locality. If okay. it, you know, what, it doesn't matter which crime. How does that work is, on murder? <laughs> Does it work on murder? <laughs> it really. I can't. get the traffic stops, not murder. None of these, none of these things can really work. I mean, if you take a look at the real world adult data on this, there are significant differences in commission of certain crimes based on race. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You can't elide Correct. that fact. And if you want to have a safer community, especially a black, look, I live in all black neighborhood in Cleveland, Ohio. 
Okay, I've been living there for 40 years, and there's more crime there than where my law partners live, which are in the Tonier suburbs. I just happen to choose to live there, and I've got a very nice little property there, and it's a nice little community, but there's a lot of crime in that neighborhood. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, the fact of the matter is that what's the old saying from uh, Willie Sutton, you know, why do you rob banks? Well, that's where the money is. Well, why right. should we have more policing in black neighborhoods? Because on a per capita basis, there is more crime there. And if you don't do that, if you don't have a greater concentration of efforts in the communities where there is crime, you're going to get even more crime. And we saw that after the Michael Brown incident back in 2000, whatever it was, 14, 15, uh, which resulted in what Heather McDonald called the Ferguson effect, withdrawal of active policing Mm -hmm. from high crime neighborhoods because cops were afraid of ending up like the cops who've been accused of, you know, police misconduct because of shooting blacks. So you get that withdrawal. And what happens? Crime spikes in those neighborhoods. We saw that after the George Floyd incident. Crime in black neighborhoods has gone up 300, 400%. It's not just confined to black neighborhoods, but in the areas where you you really need the policing, police because of, sometimes because of consent decrees from the Department of Justice, which the Obama administration was famous for imposing, sometimes because just the natural reticence on the part of police. They don't want to end up Mm -hmm. like Derek, Derek Chauvin or anyone else. There are, there's data out there that shows that black police officers, for example, are 3.3 times more likely to shoot a suspect than white police officers. And it's just common sense. White police officers are petrified of withdrawing their service right. revolver because they know what's going to happen. And that makes for not just it's, it's unsafe for police officers, but it's unsafe for the community because that active, aggressive kind of policing that's necessary to deter crime and to apprehend felons. Uh, is is going to be lacking. It's going to wane. And that's precisely what's going to happen with the George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act. Okay, so I, I want to ask you two questions. Uh, first, uh, just to make sure I understand uh, what I think we're headed towards. Right now, people are talking about a civil war in France because of these no-go zones. And they have they have said, police, you can't go into these areas, and they are surrounding and choking off the major cities. Crime is is handled by the Islamists, uh, and it's bad. It's really dangerous, uh, some of these uh, no-go zones. It, this is kind of an unofficial no-go zone. I mean, it would just naturally happen, wouldn't it? The cumulative effect of all of these practices, including the effect of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, would have something similar to that. We're seeing some semblance of that even before this act goes into effect. Right now, it's still pending in the Senate. It was passed by the House last summer. Um, I don't think there have been any recent actions on it because of the presidential election and, you know, the run up in the, uh, the Biden administration yeah. kind of ramping up. But nonetheless, take a look at we've got no goal zones already up in Minneapolis and Seattle mm-hmm. and, and other places. Yes, we do. And it's going to be that much worse when when you have the compounding effect of the Ferguson effect because of, of the riots and the BLM protests of the last summer, and then this kind of hamstringing of natural police mm. conduct, it's going to result in cr- more criminals having a free reign to terrorize communities in Chicago, oh, you know, whatever municipal area you're talking about or urban area where there's always going to be some higher crime rates. This is a, it's so ill-considered, it's, it's incredible. I don't know if it'll pass in the Senate. Um, you know, it's, I'm hopeful that there are some senators that uh, are a little bit more mature mm. and thoughtful about this. Maybe. But we're on this George Floyd 
uh, uh, train right now where we're upending so much of our, so many of our institutions and our culture. And much of it is based on a flawed narrative. And that flawed narrative, of course, is that cops are out there just executing blacks. And the fact of the matter is, black suspects are actually proportionally less likely to be shot than white suspects are. They're less likely. Are, uh, on an aggregate basis, are blacks more likely to be shot? I mean, cumulative numbers? Yes. But the reason for that is blacks are vastly more likely to be involved in criminal conduct in which there's going to be an encounter with a cop. That's the reason for it. You know, you take a look at the fact that um, in terms of crime rates, blacks are almost seven times, 6.8 times more likely than whites to be arrested for murder. Blacks are 2.74 times more likely than whites to be arrested for killing a cop. It's, it, those types of figures are extraordinary and go down the list of, of every felony that you can think of. And that's why blacks are going to have more encounters with cop that may result in some type right. of, of interaction using the uh, use of force. Okay, Peter, hang on just a second. I want to take a one-minute break, and I have one more question for you. And it revolves about something that happened in Atlanta five to ten years ago, and I'm afraid it's going to come to all police departments. Um, and I think you hinted about it uh, a minute ago, so we'll, we'll get to that in one minute. First, I, would, I want you to know I would love nothing more than the Federal Reserve to be right about the inflation we're seeing being transitory. The inflation numbers came out today much higher than expected. Uh, they were expecting maybe 3.2, 3.6, and it was 4.2, uh, 4.2% inflation year over year. That is uh, a lot, uh, and it's only going to get worse from here. They say it's not a problem. Uh, in fact, Chuck Schumer even just said that it was Donald Trump's fault because he didn't let enough uh, illegal immigrants come in. So we can't find any workers. Really? Is that why we can't find workers? It's insane what's going on. This is an insurance policy against insanity. It is a bet for you and your family on the future. And that is gold from Goldline. Please. Please consider this for your family. Nobody's telling you to put everything in it. 10% of what you have saved, put that in. It, it, the inflation means you are losing buying power. Gold goes up as the dollar goes down. They are directly related to each other. As they print more, gold will go up. Please call Goldline now and find out if it's right for you and your family. They have the graded $5 Liberty coins. These are the ones that I buy. They're really good. They have a special going on right now. Limited time offer on the product. They're waiting to hear from you. Call 866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Call them right now. Just get the information and start the ball rolling. It's 866-GOLDLINE. 10 seconds, station ID. So Peter Kersenow, he's um, he was actually on the uh, National Labor Relations Board in 2006, uh, appointed by uh, President George W. Bush. Boy, would I love to talk to you about that uh, and what is being done there. Uh, we might have to have you on talk just about w what is happening with our labor unions and, and, and everything else. Um, but we're talking about policing. There was a story that came out, Peter, uh, back after 2010. 
and it was about policing in Atlanta. They were having a hard time finding people that wanted to be a police officer in Atlanta. So they had to relax the standards and they actually had people who had been in prison that were applying to become a cop and they were close to relaxing it to the point to where those people would get in. That's extraordinarily dangerous. Um, How when you said they're relaxing the standards, does that mean hiring standards? Yeah, it means hiring standards. We are we're going to lower hiring standards if this act passes. That's about that's one of the principal ways in which you can increase the quote unquote diversity um, in the police force. And we already have a difficult time recruiting uh, black police officers, and to a certain extent, in certain areas, Hispanic police officers. Although there's less of a problem doing that. But in order to get people to be qualified, they're going to have to lower the standards to get the kind of racial composition that this act is anticipating. And that's going to be bad for everybody across the board. Peter, thank you so much for watching this. Keep your eye on it. Alert us if if you see any movement on it. I'm glad we had you on. I'd like to have you back on about the uh, National Relations uh, Labor Relations Board at some point. Thank you so much. Back in just a minute. is the Glenn Beck program. Timeshares cost a lot of money, and in most cases, they're just not worth it. Now, there might be an occasional good one. Disney is a really good one, but usually you're better staying off at a, you know, off on a resort um, than buying a timeshare. It's really, really not good. You also have responsibility for that, and so you're paying for that timeshare. You're not only you only got a mortgage that you're paying what thirteen, fifteen percent for. That's craziness. Um, but you're also uh, having to put up maintenance fees. Good news. I need you to get with the timeshare termination team. They can get you out of that timeshare that you that you bought uh, safely and legally. You'll be permanently out of this thing. Unlike a lot of other companies out there, termination, the timeshare termination team has a dedicated team of in-house attorneys. They work just for the company. They specialize in timeshare cancellation law. So terminate your timeshare, 100% money back guarantee. And if you use my name when you call them, you get 20% off. So call 888-GET-YOU-OUT, 888-GET-YOU-OUT, or check them out online, timeshareterminationteam.com. Don't miss it tonight. Back to back. Stu does America and Glenn TV only on blaze TV.com slash Glenn. Promo code is Glenn to save 10 bucks. Starts at 8 p.m. Eastern. This is the Glenn Beck program. Glad you're here. I want to spend some time today just giving you an update on the economy. Uh, The inflation rate is now 4.2%. Now, uh, that's because we calculate things differently and quite honestly times change so we're not buying the same things etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's it's not that dramatic they have changed the way we calculate the cpi the 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 inflation the cost of of products that everybody needs um we changed that formula back in uh, 1980 then we changed it again in 1990 So if we look at our 4.2% and we compare it to uh, where we would be in today's inflation, if you grew up in the 90s and you saw the inflation number, 
you would go, oh, we're at that inflation rate. So let's compare it because you can't say, oh, inflation, it was much worse under Jimmy Carter. Let's take what we have today and calculate it the same way. Then we can compare it. You can't say, you know what? <laughs> Since we started using the metric system, you know, I, I mean, it's crazy. Uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, everything's gotten shorter or longer or whichever it is. Uh, you know, you, get, you have to use the same calculation on both ends. So let's use what we find from shadowstats.com, where they give us the calculation of today's numbers uh, in the same way that they did in the 1990s. So 4.2%, if we calculated it the same way we did in the 90s, would be how much, Stu? Uh, in the 90s, would be about 8%. Okay. So our government has found a way to cut that in half. Congratulations. So what that means is when you're looking at the 4.2, generally speaking, you're looking at a number that would have been 8% inflation in the 1990s. So when Clinton was in office, if we had what's going on today, they would have said, we're running 8% infl- uh, inflation. That's a huge number, a huge number. Now, Jimmy Carter, when Reagan got in 1980, was the worst year of inflation. If we, and what was inflation then, 13%? Yeah, Under Jimmy Carter? Hit up, yeah, 13, almost 14, 15% at times. Okay. But yeah, over 13. It, it was horrific during the 70s. There was, it was, it was country killing kind of inflation. Uh, and then Reagan got in and changed some things and uh, we got it under control. So what, what, what is our inflation compared to then? It was 13 to 15% inflation at the top of the worst parts of Jimmy Carter. What are we at today at the beginning of this inflationary period? If we calculate the same way they did in the Carter years. Yeah, according to some of these guys who try to figure this alternate uh, inflation out, they say it's over 11% right now. So we're at the beginning where people are still saying, we're not seeing inflation. No, we're not seeing inflation. And Bank of America is saying, we're seeing transitory hyperinflation coming. Okay? No, no, we're not. If you calculate it the same way, generally speaking, in the 1980s, you calculate the same way. We're almost at the beginning of this, almost in the worst parts of the Carter years. And uh, it's not going to get better because the way you stop inflation is you pull money back. You discourage people from spending money. Uh, And you do that by making it harder and harder to get money, to get a loan, to get a credit card. That's how you make inflation go back down because you have to destroy all of the money that was printed for the stimulus so you got to suck that back into the system and destroy it. The only way to do that is through higher interest rates. The Fed said, and I'm trying to figure this out. The Fed said that they're not going to raise interest rates until we have a steady uh, inflation rate of about 2%. Wait, 
we're already more than double that number. And the way you bring it down to 2% is you make it harder for money to be spent or borrowed. So you're saying you're not going to do those things. How is, is it like, is it like the scale when you stand on it? Stu and I were talking about it earlier. You stand on a scale, you know how it goes past zero. I only weigh 21 pounds. That's it. Because uh, it starts over. Once it goes to a certain number, it just starts at zero again. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. how inflation works? Pretty too? sure that's how it works. Yeah, okay. it's definitely how my scale okay. works. All right. So let me explain inflation in another way. Let's just for um, it's easy math. Let's just use 10% inflation. If you want to go the way the government is calculating today, it's four. It's 4.2 official today. If you want to look at it more realistically, it's probably between 8 and 11 uh, from where you remember when you were growing up. Um, but let's just use 10% inflation as an example. If we have 10% inflation, which I claim we do because of the shadow stat numbers are playing a game with it. Um, if we have 10% inflation, that means year over year. If you had $100 in the bank, $100 worth of buying power, you still have $100. That's what it says on the ledger. ledger. But you can only re- you only have the buying power of $90. So you've lost $10 this year for every $100 that you have. But this is year over year. So if next year, 2022, is as delightful as this year is, and let's just say it stays flat at 10%, you now have 80 cents, right, 81, yeah, 81. Mm -hmm. 81, because, yeah, because of 90%. So you lose 9 cents. Uh, Then you have... 72 cents 73 yeah 73 mm-hmm. the next year mm-hmm. and uh and so on and so on you'll see that um with inflation this is how people become poor this is what happened in venezuela this is what happened in cuba this is what happened in germany this is what happens in zimbabwe this is what happens everywhere they print money and spend to get out What happens is the money becomes worth less and less. So the products seem like they're going up in price, but they're not going up in price. And the politicians will tell you it's these companies. It's the policy of of these companies hoarding all of that money. They're just getting rich. No, it's the policies of the central bank and the government spending too much and then buying their own debt and printing more money. That's what causes inflation. And they'll blame it on someone else because they create the problem. They, of course, will have the solution. Chuck Schumer's solution. Did you hear this yesterday, Stu? Chuck Schumer actually came out and said inflation is happening because we don't have the workers. And the reason why we don't have the workers is not because we're paying them to stay home. No, no, no. No. It's that Donald Trump didn't let enough illegal aliens in so they could have jobs. So we we're not we're not getting uh, products built because we don't have enough illegals coming across the border because of Donald Trump. That's the kind of stuff that leads you into Weimar. 
because it's a sickness. It's, it's a mental disorder. It really is. It's a mental disorder. You are so far from reality. You are either, you're either sick. You're so deluded yourself that you're, you're sick or you know exactly what you're doing and you're part of the problem. Which is it, Chuck? Because there's only two. With Chuck, I think it's both. I mean, to be fair, I think he's both sick and part of the problem. Uh, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know. If there's much of a distinction you can make with Chuck in particular. But you're right. It, it's 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 a massive, massive problem. And I don't think the American people necessarily have felt any of this pain yet. Right? We're still when oh, you no. when you rush sugar into an economy like this. Right? You you can of course. Like, of course, you can have some positive early effects from it, right? I mean, everyone mm-hmm. knows that you can quote, add, quote unquote, add jobs if you just start paying people $50,000 to sit on their couch, right? In theory, like you could say it's a job and people have jobs and they're making money. We also know that that's not a sustainable long-term uh, way mm-hmm. of doing business. And when you have multiple trillions of dollars going out the door in multiple bills, I mean, not even just one of them, th- at least three uh, giant bills that are just going to spend and spend and spend on the back of a year where we already spent ten trillion dollars. You're, I mean, I, it's going to test everything we ever thought as conservatives, right? All this time we oh. were like, eventually this is going to catch up to us. I, I mean, I don't know yeah, how. Here. The, I don't know how it's this here. isn't going to happen. It's here. It's here. It's here, and they're only doubling down. Let me give you one more thing. This is from Stanley uh, uh, Druckenmiller. He's one of the big um, investment titans in America. And he came out yesterday on CNBC and he said, I can't find any period in history where monetary and fiscal policy were this out of step with the economic circumstances. Not one. Uh, He says the Fed has continued its policies to help underwrite the spending bid in Congress, which has allowed more than five trillion dollars in stimulus and is contemplating trillions more in infrastructure related spending over the long haul. He said the policies and heavy debts and deficits they support will threaten the dollar's standing as the world's reserve currency. That status means the dollar is accepted for transactions and as a store of wealth anywhere and is widely held by central banks around the world. If they want, if they want to do all of this and risk our reserve currency status, risk an asset bubble blowing up, so be it. But I think we at least ought to have a conversation about what all of this means. If we're going to monetize our debt, we're going to enable more and more of this spending. And it looks like we are. I'm worried that for the first time within 15 years, we're going to lose the world's reserve currency status. And of course, all of the unbelievable benefits that accrued with it. People don't understand why world reserve currency status is so important. We become Mexico the day we lose that. We have to get involved locally. We must get involved in our communities locally. If you believe in the Bill of Rights and you will stand for the Bill of Rights, I don't care anything else. Will you stand for the Bill of Rights? Good. Run for office. Run for office. I don't care if it's dog catcher. Run for office. Back in a minute. 
Well, every day you walk out that door every morning knowing that you're about to face another day of living with pain. I know what it's like. I have uh, I don't face that anymore. I used to. How am I going to do this? I can't. I used to get up every day and go, I can't do this another day. Now I just do it for other reasons. I say that for other reasons, but um, used to be for pain. I can't live like this any longer. And before I gave up, thank God, I married to a unbelievably beautiful and wonderful woman uh, who makes me do things that I normally wouldn't do. Yes, yes, I'll have my colon tested and scoped up my yes honey i'll do that anyway uh she made me take relief factor and she said just try it it's three weeks try it if it doesn't work fine but try it so i did and i really didn't think it was going to work and then i was really stupid because i thought hey i just feel better you know it has nothing to do with this stupid thing and then i got off it (laughs) mistake Try it now. Their three-week trial period. Do it now. Rough. Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. Get your life back. For, a th- for those thousand gas stations that don't have any gas, I want you to listen to the energy secretary uh, because you're going to feel much, much better. Uh, here they are, uh, energy secretary yesterday on gas shortages. In this particular region, that's where we're going to see the crunch. Um, and this is why we are, we know that we have gasoline. We just have to get it to the right places. And that's uh, why these okay. next couple of days, I think, will be challenging. Mm-hmm. And we want to encourage people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not that we have a gasoline shortage. It's that we have this supply crunch. Yes. Oh, that my gosh. Things will okay. be back to normal soon. And you know what? And it's... people not to hoard and know that Thank every- you. Stop. You know, as, as long as I know it's a supply crunch and not a gas shortage, uh, I feel so much better. Uh, and if I just would have been educated in critical race theory, I would have known the power and importance of words like that. Um, uh, now, here's uh, Pasaki. I call her that because she pasaks. Um, but anyway, here's uh, Biden's press secretary yesterday on the pipeline. Listen. She was very quiet. Do you have it? Pasaki says Biden is. No, it's pad audio. Pasaki says Biden is still considering canceling existing pipelines. Sorry, I'm talking to my producers. Uh, go ahead. Thank you. Two topics. I'll go quick. Is the White House rethinking their opposition to new pipeline projects since one really important one goes offline and gas stations start running dry? I wouldn't say we look at it as it, through that prism, Peter. We look at it, we mm. analyze uh, both the impact, the economic mm-hmm. impact, as well as the environmental impact. And mm-hmm. that will certainly mm-hmm. remain the case. But we look at different each pipeline project uh, individually. Mm. OK, That's so there's still a terrible yep, answer to that question. Uh, awful. Yeah. Awful answer. I mean, awful. she has to be fair to her. She there's nothing she can say. She's just no. been called out for one of their main points of their ideology, that which mm-hmm. is going to destroy uh, large par- portions of the economy if, if something tell goes me, wrong. Tell me, Stu, how I am possibly wrong thinking that that's why they're not responding to this and saying, ah, it's a private sector problem. Uh, yeah. They want gas prices to go up. They, they don't care. They want people to get out of gasoline. And that's why yesterday they were like, we're going to double down on solar. If that's what they want, really? they're doing a great job at it so far. Uh, by the job. way, uh, started at two twenty-five beginning of the year. We're now at three dollars a gallon. Mm. Mm. Wait till you see where gas prices are going to be next week. This is the Glenn Beck program.